So welcome to the Sunday Sangha. It is uh, uh, just the aftermath of a rainstorm. There's still a lot of water dripping in the air from the trees and whatnot. But uh, 10 minutes ago, it was a howling storm. And now the aftermath is, is that the air they normally we call it that, that the uh, the air is cleaned in a in a more important way. The air is actually oxygenated. That <clears throat> we were told in school and got the idea that water is water because it's a combination of hydrogen and oxygen. And then later we learned that all oh, there is electrolysis to where you can get the oxygen out of the hydrogen, but it takes a lot of work and whatnot like that with a chemical setup. But what I've come to understand, and I started looking into this when I've heard that most of the world's oxygen supply does not come from plants, it comes from the ocean. It does not come from the plants or the animals in the ocean, it comes from the ocean itself. Stored. The reason for that is because oxygen and hydrogen, it does take some energy to break them apart, but that energy is available from the sun. It's in there in the clouds. That's what lightning is all about. And so uh, in the rain, the, much of the rain, the oxygen separates from the hydrogen. The hydrogen goes up. It's uh, lightweight and the oxygen comes down. And here I am ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what the state of the affairs is here, is that we are in the absolute best air possible on the planet Earth. Right after a rainstorm on an island. That is actually quite far out to sea. The power that we have here, by the way, very interesting, the power that we have is generated by a power plant that's southeast, southwest of here, about 600, no, 400 kilometers. And as the world turns, any smoke that comes out of that stack goes into the Adriatic Sea and into the Indian Ocean and doesn't make it in this direction. So we are completely free from pollution. There is no possible anything. All we've got is just completely natural air as best from the whole ocean out here. <laughs> That's a picture. We get the power and the good nature, and the others have the crap. <laughs> ah, I should give you my address. Come join me here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, um, Corey, I think, has got uh, a background there that uh, indicates also another place that's got really good fresh air. So anyway, DJ, you have a question, and we thought we would talk about questions in general as well as any particular question that you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that it's uh, quite uh, helpful to to still um like you know use <coughs> questions, you know, yeah, for for um. Yeah, I was I asked, you know, um, what is the value, you know, of questions in terms of conducting right speech? But yeah, I, I, I think that um, in like 
general, just questions of just like, hey, what's going on, you know, and in sort of that, like that sort of a, can be a bit of saute, like what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. right now sitting, you know, I'm breathing in this wonderful air talking <laughs> to my good friend Domerato and isn't this lovely, you know, that's that sort of thing. If they bring joy, if they're, you know, wholesome thoughts. So, yeah. But mm-hmm. but yeah, that question that I started with was what is the value, you know, of asking questions in terms of. Uh, OK, so in like, fact, then that we can, in fact, uh, categorize <laughs> questions at least into the two classifications of questions that are wholesome and questions that are unwholesome. So that would be the first thing that we can look at. And so let's talk about the wholesome kind of questions first. Um, one uh, whole area of that wholesome question is seeking information. Okay, that can be wholesome. Seeking information can be also unwholesome. So seeking information in the sense of trying to, uh, uh, let us say, increase our friendship, uh, find some uh, discernment, um, a- actually asking questions in response to a question, gathering um, enough information so that you can answer the question correctly. All right, so that's the way of doing it. And that uh, uh, in this regard, we can talk about uh, what is actually referred to as the Socratic method coming from Socrates, because that's one of the best ways of getting people to see the truth when they won't listen to it when it's given to them. But you can ask them questions about what they do believe. And in fact, that's what's happening on YouTube, I see from time to time, is is that um, there's a group of guys that go into places like uh, Trump rallies and finding uh, Republicans and and Trumpers and all of that kind of stuff and ask them questions to get them to start to think. This would be, uh, I'm not sure whether we would call that wholesome or not. I think that I would be better off just sitting on my porch and let those people think what they want to think without asking them questions about it that makes them think. <laughs> but, but this would be the Socratic method of asking people, for instance, someone who is adamant about guns rights and guns ownership to start asking him questions about what kind of dangers are there there to get him to recognize that that is not all fun and games that I'm a big tough dude because I've got a gun. But rather, how does it feel to have someone else thinking that way, point theirs at you and put a hole in you? Right? Because that's what you're probably going to do with your gun. You're going to point it at somebody and pull the trigger and put a hole in them. That's what a gun is for, isn't it? And when they begin to understand things like that by asking them questions, what are you going to do with that gun? For protection, protection from what? From protection from who? 
And then, so they began to look at it. Okay, so that's one of the kinds of questions that we can have would be the kind of question that gets people to look at what they're doing. I tend to use that style a lot, talking to students, is asking them questions to get them to uh, think about what they're doing, etc. Also, um, if somebody says something and we answer them, we actually can make a fool of ourselves because we don't understand their question. So that's another time to ask questions is to make sure that we know what people are talking about. Okay. There is also a request for information in regard for us about the Dhamma in the sense of uh, if I can get some information to figure out what's going on in my own mind or figure out how to look at stuff, then that would be of enormous benefit. So even in the context of the Dhamma that way, we would have great value for questions. But then we can start talking about the value or the unvaluable kinds of questions that we have. And basically, we could be, uh, look at that in the sense of the kind of questions that prevent us from feeling the way that we would like to feel. In other words, we, if we think, oh, I need to know this about the Dhamma in order to feel good, then I got to go pursue that when, in fact, that's kind of a secondary thing. But in fact, the Dhamma is actually quite easy. There's not much to it. I see, though, a lot of Buddhists who are very thirsty for knowledge. I've seen some monks go almost to the point of translating the entire Tripitaka, and they still don't understand the whole practice. <laughs> Call them scholars. They want to know a thirst for knowledge, more and more and more information. And yet that information doesn't <clears throat> do them a lot of good. Hmm that there's just a little bit of information. All we really need to know is basically the connection between the, the mind and the feelings and the body. When we begin to understand by looking and investigation this uh, intuitively to recognize that, hey, I've been talking myself into feeling bad all of these years. All I have to do is start talking to my, myself into feeling good. And we don't have to sit around asking myself questions like, well, what kind of words would I use to make myself feel good? We already know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> but when we get into the questions like, oh, well, how do I practice and what do I do? And why is the breath and this seems hard and I keep forgetting? Why do I have to keep doing this over and over again? And maybe the teacher is not a good teacher, and maybe this is not the best practice. Is this really what the Buddha taught after all, you know? Why don't I go down the street and see what the Hare Krishnas are doing? And then there's just no end to the questions, okay? And we can, in fact, stop those kinds of questions because they're unwholesome, keeping us from actually being happy. Just, just drop all the questions. Let them go, okay? And yet in our society, we've been taught to hang in there, to hang on. <laughs> our society teaches us to cling. We're supposed to cling to that job. The boss at, uh, walks in, you know, and says, you come into my office, we've got something to discuss. 
Oh, what is this about? Mm. And then we talk about, well, your performance hasn't been up to scratch and whatever <laughs> like that. And the answer is, well, what can I do? What can I do? And we start clinging to this job. When in fact, if we're not doing a very good job, we didn't like the job in the first place. Why don't we be honest to start looking at what's going on here? And maybe this is a goodbye kiss. <laughs> I think last yeah. time we discussed this, a much better idea to quit than get fired. Mm -hmm. Okay, but we cling. And that clinging is what causes trouble rather than just letting things go, letting things fall apart. Things are going to fall apart already anyway. Anicca Watta Sankara. It's more of a habit, right? It's, it's this habit of, uh, of uh, not seeing that, that you're doing this in this moment. Just realizing that you're doing this because I was reading, I'm always when I'm, when I realize that I'm, that I'm doing this, I take out the ABC of Buddhism. Uh-huh. And look at those eight or nine pages i mean it's a read for 10 minutes or something like this and boom back back on the track i know <clears throat> that that is such a good book uh, i would yeah. highly recommend it to anybody and it's right yeah. there on uh, available you can actually just uh, google abc's of buddhas and it'll pop yeah. right up it's um, and that's bhikkhu buddha das's way of saying that it's an easy path all it is is a, B, the ABCs of Buddhism. That's all we need. Yeah. yeah. There's not much to it. And yet, uh, you could say that what happens with religion is, is that if it is not actually precise, if it doesn't, if it needs a tweak here and there, it will wind up being encrusted with tweaks yeah. and Christianity, I mean, look how many sophisticated different belief systems there are around. Uh, they say that there's, you know, like 50,000 different kinds of churches in the U.S., 50,000 different de denominations or something like that, with all the various tiny little beliefs. Many of them are saying only our belief is correct and everybody else is going to go to hell. What they don't really understand is that they're all already in hell. That's why they're in a religion, just try to figure out how to get out of it and into the heaven. And the answer to that is right there in the teachings of Jesus. He gives them the point right there. But it said, look, it says the kingdom of heaven is within you. That's all, there is. That's all we need to know. That's really all there is to it, is you can make your own heaven. Here we are. I mean, we've got such a marvelous paradise, but our culture tells us things are not good enough. We got to make them better. And so we go along to get along and we keep believing that. But life actually is quite joyful if we give it a chance. We'd let go of all the things that we're told that we're supposed to cling to. So, what else do we have to talk about today? <laughs> yes, go ahead. 
Does Buddhism have anything to say on the topic of free will? No, but I do. Okay. I mean, if it just doesn't touch that topic, I'd understand that. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a non-issue. It doesn't exist. The only That's what I always question. thought. I've had, question. That, I've had that, um, sorry, like, um, um, thought process before where if something is a problem that comes up, I kind of evaluate it. And then I realize, oh, wait, it's a non-problem. Okay. And then I just <laughs> get back, jump right back into the practice. There's a good uh, mm -hmm. opportunity. You're understanding, hey, it's no problem. It's good. Right. That's, in fact, the whole, uh, a lot of the issue about the questions that we have. Is the question, Dan, actually the easy and most correct uh, answer to that question is to drop the question. Let it go. It's a mean, it doesn't, even if we had the correct answer, even if the answer was extremely juicy. Doesn't <laughs> Doesn't matter. So uh, we can discuss free will. Well, I guess um, I guess the whole gist of it was if I were to believe and understand that free will were real, I would more than likely choose more of a bodhisattva path. But if free will is not real, then I would just go for. Uh, our hot ship immediately. Okay. Now, the um, a technically correct answer to that is is that there is many different kinds of free will or even will, and some of them you are free, and and others it doesn't matter how much you want it, you can't have it. So wanting things that we can have is dukkha. And getting the things that we can get is immediately available. They're free. Free will. Okay. So will, in another way of looking at it, is, is desire or wanting. I want something. And I can't get it. So my will is not free. It's bound up. I'm in jail. This is the prison of life. That Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about that we imprison ourselves in our own jail by wanting the things that we are not free to go get. I've seen many temper tantrums in uh, supermarkets with toddlers and such. It's, you know, <laughs> goes from an early age, very early age. Can you move your microphone a little closer? You're, I hear a lot of oh, background noise. Oh, sorry, it's my fan. Um, I've seen many cases of this in supermarkets with toddlers, and they want something, but you know, parent says no. Then they uh, have an outburst, but it, it, it runs very far back, early childhood. Precisely so. And by the way, the psychologists had worked out an easy, easy answer to that child who is wanting something in the grocery store that he can't have. <laughs> well, no, what you do is you say, okay, if you really want this box of post or this box of colored fruit cereal, you can have it as long as we're in the grocery store. But we can't take it home, but you can have oh, it now. Brilliant. So here yeah. it is, and let the child have it right now. 
knowing that he's going to lose it 10 minutes from now, and that's okay. But if you say, no, you can't have it right now, that's hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually really good. good. That's good. So let the child have what the child wants. Otherwise, we're denying the child. In, In fact, what we're doing is we're proving to the child he has no free will. Okay. Now, actually, the whole point about free will comes from the question um, of destiny, of providence, of God has a plan. Okay, God's got a plan. He's got a big plan. He's got a plan for everybody. That's a very interesting thing about this plan is, is that if you actually go according to God's plan, everything works out quite well. And when you go against God's plan, things get tough. Mm. And, and then you have the point about people going into prayer. Well, prayer means that they want something that they don't have. Their will is not free. So in a way, they're asking God for the free will to get what they want even if it's against God's plan. Well, George Garland has got the joke about that. I mean, God's plan is an old plan. He's had that for a long time, and you want God to change your plan or his plan just for you because of what you want? And they also do all of the prayer on Sunday, his day off. What do you think God's going to do with all of these prayers that go against his plan? Okay. And the whole idea then about prayer flies in the face of this issue of free will. Because God's got a plan. He's got a providence. He's got a destiny. He's got a thing going. And we can see that. But we don't understand it very well. Psychology has come in and started pointing out that, oh, your destiny is not really a destiny, it's more like a habit pattern. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. If you start feeling one way and continue to feel that way, that's your destiny to continue to feel that way. This is also the Christian teaching of a soul, that you are a soul. You are a sinner. You came into this world broken. You've got an original sin, and you can't fix it. You're broken. Unless you pray to God (laughs) Mm. or something (laughs) to fix you. And guess what? God don't fix your broken, but he has mercy on you. If you pay your taxes. Right, if you pay your taxes. So that's the whole idea then about what is free will is can we go and do what we want to do is one of the issues of free will. In other words, I can go and do anything I want to do. I can jump on this railing here and flap my arms and start to fly like a bird. I can do all kinds of things if I've got the free will to do it. None of this is really real, though. This is all about uh, magical beings and everything like that and destinies and whatnot. But the real issue is our habits, our patterns, our way of doing things. This is what prevents us from having uh, a, a happy life 
that you could then equate. So let's start talking about free will in the sense of a happy life. Because that's what we're all looking for. I don't even when people think about I want free will or is uh, is there free will? What are they really asking? They're asking, can I have a happy life? Because you will never get everything that you want. If you let your wants and desires just go wild, you won't get what you want. We have to have some wisdom in there. And when we are wise enough to only want the things that we can get, now we can live a happy life. Another way of looking at it also is the issue that when we are already habit bound, we have to start putting in right effort, right noble effort to make some changes. We have to remember to look, to see what's going on, and then to take the effort to make a change in there. And we keep doing that over and over and over again. So will at best is not going to be free it's going to be an expense. There's going to be an issue of right effort. You've got to put in the effort. But as the effort is put in more and more so, we begin to get the benefits out of it. We begin to see the joy. We begin to see that it was worth the effort after all. And this is what then gives you free will except that it never was will. And so the answer to your question about is there free will or not, the answer to that is, well, it's expensive. <laughs> it's not cheap. It's not free. But you can have will. You can live a life of joy and happiness without being told you can't have what you want. So this is the real issue of free will except that the Buddha never talked about it in the context of free will. This was all, this in fact, it wasn't even in Christianity in the ancient times. Jesus didn't talk about free will. Free will's not in the Bible. This whole concept of free will came from a medieval fight in the church. <laughs> and the answer, as uh, uh, Veda said, was you got to pay your taxes. It ain't free. Not that kind of will, but but the point is, though, is that everything in life that's worth having is free. Mm. Joy is free. The <laughs> air that we breathe is free. Your, your ability to see with your eyes is free. Nobody pays, you have to pay a tax for uh <laughs> Netflix, but that's their content. You don't have to pay a tax to use your eye or to hear that that part of it is free, and yet we don't pay much attention. We seem to, you know, there are six senses. There are five external senses, and then there is an internal system. <clears throat> that is memory of those five things, that we cannot remember anything that has not come in from our senses. Everything comes in through our senses and then is recorded, so everything that we think, we think in that way. So all the possible colors that your eye has seen, you can think of those colors, but you cannot think of colors that your eye has never seen. Isn't that interesting? 
In that regard, you don't have free will. You cannot think of colors that your eyes have never seen. Is form consciousness, it's form and color consciousness, right? Mm-hmm, right. That's so it. form and shape and movement. Ah, yeah. Form, mm -hmm. shape, and movement are the things that the eye sees. So, uh, we can, we're not completely free, but we, when we see things with the eyes, hear things with the ears, we record them in the mind, but not very well. Any tape recorder can record, or sorry about that, that's the old days. Any sound system on your computer can record audio much better than you can remember it with your ears. Uh, same thing with the eyes. I'm sure all of you have seen a movie. You even got a favorite movie. But do you remember what's on every frame of that movie? <laughs> no. We very we remember very very little of what we actually take in. We're very. It's not selective. It's just that the processor that we have is not capable of receiving that much data or storing that important. much data. <laughs> it's it's so that that's the reason why we make it so important right we try to make what we do remember important <clears throat> it's no more important than all the stuff that i saw that wasn't recorded <laughs> we try to record what we think is important this is part of the reason why when we reminisce about the past we'll start off with something in the past that's pleasant and very quickly, we'll remember the tragedy that happened at that event. <laughs> and so this is why the Buddha says to stay out of the past is because it's fraught with bad feelings. Because we tend to remember all the bad stuff more than remember the good stuff. Here's a clear example. The little boy's got his crayons out and he's drawing a beautiful picture, he thinks, on the wall of his bedroom. Mom comes in. Instead of seeing artwork, she sees a paint job and the <laughs> landlord. Okay. And so she fusses at this child about drawing on the wall. Now, when he remembers that later in life, he's not going to remember what a beautiful drawing he had. He's going to remember being scolded for writing on the wall. To where if that mom had had a presence of mind, she would have come in and says, that's the most beautiful wall drawing I've ever seen. We should take you to Picasso or training or get you something, of an art set. We've got a, an artist here. And she could have actually improved upon that. But no, she just, and for the rest of his life, he can't draw. For the rest of his life, he's got an aversion for drawing because he got scolded for drawing. Mm -hmm. Can you draw? No, I can't. I can't. No, I can't draw. I can't. I and, can't. Do, and, and that no, I can't draw is what he remembers, but he doesn't even remember the fact that he could draw because he did. I can draw. I can dance. I can't do. I mean, tell me what I what I should do. Uh, you've heard of beginner's luck. Mostly beginners <laughs> don't have good luck. Most of the time we fail the first time we do something. And if we only try it one time, we'll be a failure at it our whole lives. Man, oh man. 
But when we grow up, we can begin to understand, hey, I can change. Mm-hmm. I can change. This now is the budding of free will. Is that recognition that I can change? Because if you don't have that, then you are bound to your destiny, which is your old bad habit system. So you can have free will because you begin to understand you can change. That's your will, the will to change, the will to come out of your dukkha, the will to come out of your suffering, and the will to come into a joyful, happy life. There you have it, Caleb. That's your free will. (laughs) I can change. Yeah, I didn't have free will before this talk, but now I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it wasn't free, but it was cheap enough. (laughs) Yeah. So, where do we go next? Gosh, we've gotten so much ground covered, and it's only been 30 minutes. <laughs> um, can I ask a little bit of a complex question? Yes. Just for fun? Yes. We'll just hack uh, it right apart, make it simple again. <laughs> I was reading. Things are complicated when we don't understand them and very simple when we do, you know. Yeah, and we can, we can understand them very easily. Um, I was uh, reading in the Buddha Dhamma and uh, there is on, one moment please. Uh, There is on page 237 this uh, wonderful um uh those wonderful sentences the detailed presentation of dependent origination contains 12 factors which are part of an interconnected cycle without a beginning or an end there is no first cause mula karana or karanya for mm-hmm. the sake of convenience the buddha chose ignorance <clears throat> avicca as the most suitable candidate to place at the start of the list of factors, but this is not intended to imply that ignorance is the first cause. Occasionally, to prevent the misunderstanding that ignorance is the first cause, he inserted the following statement. With the arising of the taints, ignorance arises. With the cessation of the taints, ignorance ceases. I mean, this this was like, I was, I was looking at the suttas and uh, uh, ta- Dhamma talks of different teachers about dependent origination for years mm-hmm. and this this little piece was the key to to everything for me you know because this whole this whole thing with those stages and everything has to be in order and i mean the the question that came up for me is like i mean it's like the brain right it's 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 not it's not uh, that that you have something that is superior uh, operating downwards or th- something that is that is very primary uh, uh, operating upwards it's everything is is connected with with each other okay all right um the western mindset wants to in fact this happens with the bible even more frequently and that is we read things literally 
or we take it that the words that we're reading is an absolute 100% uh, perfect rendition of reality. And I say it like that for you to say, well, nothing is actually going to be a perfect rendition of reality. Uh, the Tao that can be stated, can be said, is not the real Tao that we can well, only approximate. Is is okay. this orange juice or is this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, <laughs> let's go to the point about ignorance, because we can see that ignorance, in fact, we just talked about it a little while ago in the sense of the, the flood of information that hits our sense doors, very little of it gets recorded. That right there is a, a concept of ignorance. But <clears throat> But uh, another practical way of looking at ignorance is, is that it is that the word, by the way, in the Pali is ajiva, and it is translated into the word ignorance in the sense of not knowing something. But there is another way of looking at it, and that is ajiva means knowing not or knowing something that is not. The English language word for that is delusion. And that's a closer word to what's going on. The delusions that we have. We make up an answer to a question and then we cling to that answer to that question for a long, long time. An example that I just gave, and I can give this one again, is imagine the two-year-old girl is standing there and a puppy comes up and jumps on her and scratches her. And she becomes afraid of the puppy and she imprints about that. And this lady, as she grows up, winds up being afraid of dogs for her whole life. Mm. Because she never will repeat that episode and have it again. Her brother, maybe a twin or about the same age of her, stands right there, watches the puppy jump on her. And he is delighted. And he mm. winds up being an animal trainer. Mm. Over mm -hmm. just one episode that happened, and you can see that she became delusional about dogs. She had a one-time mm -hmm. shot, and she and she put the entire category of all dogs into one little episode of ignorance that happened to her. She became delusional about that dog. Okay, and so uh, <clears throat> a good psychiatrist would show her pictures of the dogs. And then perhaps bring a young puppy in and let her pet the young puppy. <clears throat> she gets over her fear of dogs, just like a good you know, Right. And the training <laughs> give her much new information over and over and over and over again. We will put in good new positive information that will help outweigh and eradicate that one-time episode that happened at a child. Okay, so this is the delusional aspect of it, and this is where we understand the relationship between Ijiva and Sankara, mm. is that our memories are based in ignorant delusions. And that we I'm, continue down that way, that is in fact what is our destiny. I'm playing around, I'm playing around with this, with, uh, with me seeing women. 
I I recognize now that I mean it's a it's really what it is. It's a comic. I see this this or I have this experience of something, and again then I go closer and look at it very very uh, uh, actively, and it's it's nothing like I was seeing before. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like it. Precisely, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's amazing. It's like looking yes. at a comic from far away and then you go closer and closer and closer and it's just pixels. Mm-hmm. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder in all cases. So let us say that we're actually watching a movie of a, of a girl dancing or maybe she's an athlete and she's dressed in the way that girls dress <laughs> when she's an athlete or when she's a dancer to keep the guy's eyes glued on that area about two inches below her belly and about three about four or five inches above her knees okay and every guy in that audience is watching that whole show looking for just the best shot that never really occurs because it's the anticipation for getting to see something and you don't get it you never see that tutu fall off (laughs) it doesn't happen Mm. (laughs) <laughs> and yet we're there just eyes glued to that because we think that it's so beautiful, it's so enticing, it's so lovely, and it's just a piece it's, of cloth. It's it's the same nothing. thing is true with with uh, uh, let us say a photo- photographic pornographic piece of art, a photograph or a, a wall drawing or something, and very few of us. We'll just look at it and recognize I'm looking at a piece of paper. (laughs) That's all I'm looking at is a piece of paper with some (laughs) ink on it. That's what this is. And it's not only that, but it's giving the impression of a piece of cloth anyway. (laughs) And so I'm two layers down in fantasy. And all I'm looking Mm. at is a piece of paper. If we stay real then we can recognize all the delight is still in the mind that all I'm doing is looking at a piece of paper. Is you telling this some people who are highly invested in buying and selling art is an, it's about the colors and it's about the painter's story and it's about this and about, yeah. Okay. Now we're in, in a million things. And before it just was a, a nice picture. Right. So yeah, I like uh, it. It's, it's endless. So <clears throat> the I like it, that feeling of I like it, or not I, but just liking, the sense of liking, the sense of pleasure, very easily with delusions and with ignorance will rot into I've got a habit. I like it, I want it. And now what happened was, is that before I saw it, before I liked it, I was whole. By wanting it now, I feel less than whole. I need that which I like. And if I can come in with it, I can plug the new hole that I have just discovered in within my being. I need that to feel good. So many Isn't things in so short That's, of time. That, that is ignorance. I mean, that is just complete stupidity. And yet we do it. <laughs> we, we want things that we can't have. 
thinking that we will not be whole unless we get it. And when we do get it, now we've got to maintain it. Because if it was valuable enough to chase around, when we catch it, somebody else is going to try to get it from us, or maybe it just goes old or whatever. Ooh, oh, yeah. And now we got to work really hard to keep it because it's so valuable, and then we're going to lose it anyway. So we were in misery to get it, we were in misery to keep it, and we were really in misery when we lost it. So much now for ownership of things that we want. When we recognize that, we can say, hey, wait a minute, I may be better off without that thing because I'm going to be miserable if I lose it. Wisdom. Mm -hmm. So wisdom then is in fact really free will. Wisdom makes the will free because we are free from wanting things. Most it's applied people, free will, right? Mm -hmm. Applied free will. Applied free will, wisdom is free will. So one more yes, point yeah. about that is, is that um, when we want things <laughs> that we don't have, we don't recognize or we are ignorant of the fact that we really don't need it at all anyway. So the wisdom is uh, to be able to see things. Now, this whole idea of free will or freedom, most of us see free will as the freedom to get what we want. <laughs> okay, freedom to get what we want. So when the, when the teenager comes to daddy, wanting to borrow the car so that he can have the freedom with the car to go to town. He mm. wants the freedom to go. He wants the freedom too. The real freedom that we need to refer to here with uh, wisdom is the freedom from. If the teenager had the mm. freedom from wanting to go to town, then he wouldn't have his argument with his dad. No, he wants freedom too, rather than freedom from. So free will has the quality of from. That I am so free that I don't need that anymore. <laughs> and if I get it, it's a bondage and I'm not free from it. Mm, That's a very mm -hmm. so much again for free will. When we recognize that it's really free when we're wise because the wisdom is to show freedom from that I don't need that. I'm okay already without it. I'm good to go. I'm fine. Thank you very much. This is freedom. Okay. So like for instance, even when the wife asked me, well, what do you want to eat? The answer is, I don't want anything. I'm, <laughs> I'm free right now. I don't have to sit around and wait for you to cook. And then do what I'm told to do by eating what you fixed me. I don't have to do that. I can just say, no, I'm not hungry. I'm free. I'm free from hunger right now. And in fact, we touched upon that last time, uh, Marcus, when we were talking about marijuana. <laughs> it can be free from it. That's the free will. Is Not the freedom to get it, but the freedom from it. That's the value. 
is to have this freedom from is it all well i don't need it right now i'm free um ajan i don't know if it was ajan moon or ajan cha one of both i'm now and again i listen to their uh it's an audio book someone made very very uh, uh cheap sorry for for the wording mm -hmm. um it's it's uh, it's beautiful you can hear the the animals in the background of the jungle and so on i mean it was probably recorded while others were in retreat or something like this who knows um he's talking about in the end of the path for him it was like this i mean buddhism talks about it as this, like a slope it's a it's a slope you mm. you slide along and i don't know how he phrased as opposed it, to a slope to climb it's a downhill right. slope things right. have gotten easy right. that you can think into about something. it Mm -hmm. You can think about the spiritual journey. In fact, you can think about it in the sense of soda pine is an uphill climb. And then after the point or about the time of soda pine, when they got the fruit of the soda pine, after all this, it's a downhill journey after that. Everything is easy. But it's imaginary. It's an imaginary climb because right. we are we are deluded. It was, it was not just imaginary. It was delusion. There was yeah. no climb to it that we're yeah. climbing because that's, we think that we have to climb. That's exactly. And we the, have to work hard at getting enlightened. <laughs> when we yeah. figure out that, hey, being enlightened is lightening up and stop <laughs> clinging to stuff. <laughs> that's when it And all we had to do is just turn around. And now the uphill slope that we were climbing now becomes a downhill slope. We just sit that's down and amazing. slide. Yeah. <laughs> Take it easy. Let it go. <laughs> he described it so beautifully. I mean, you could feel it. You could really feel this. And if I can feel it, it's there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so stupid of us to think that it's that it's something we have to do. Mm -hmm. So we have talked about ignorance and sankara and childhood and free will and all of that so we've we've really covered the basis today i really enjoyed this we haven't covered all of the Savipada, but we've actually touched on quite a lot of it there's not much to it actually it's just the way that the mind works By chance, um, do you have any um, tips on clearing out or cessating uh, upadana or attachment? Yes, see it and drop it. Recognize the dropping it part is like the hard part for me. Ah, well, you can recognize that you do like it. You do like being a crotch watcher. Just don't do <laughs> anything about it. Okay. Okay. I guess for me is it's almost like I suffer so often that I've learned to like suffering, I guess. Ah, well, uh, let us say that you've grown used to it. But if you had a choice, you'd drop it instantly that it actually is. For sure. Person. 
You've just gotten so there's a part of us that has to do with being the big tough dude. I can handle anything. Okay. Yes. And we and we want to instead of operating with that in an unwholesome way, we actually want to develop that in a wholesome way so that you can handle anything. When it's necessary. When it's not necessary, let's set it down. We don't need to carry that hot potato around. We don't have to like our suffering. We can see suffering and throw it out of the way and handle things without the suffering. So, yes, we do have clinging to it. And so the way that we can handle that uh, is to go back to recognizing that I do like things, but that I don't have to have it in order to be complete. I'm already okay. If you can remember to say that to yourself, where's the clinging? When you want something, you recognize I want that. And then you say, oh, I only want it because I like it. And I think that I'll be better off if I had it. But now I'm seeing myself as not being good enough without that thing. Hmm. And so now I can say, well, wait a minute. I'm already okay. I don't need that. And I can let it go. So it's almost like when one has insight into Upadana, they almost skip all of the terrible things that come afterwards and just jump right back to Vinyana. Vedana, right. Come back to the Vedana, come back to the liking. And say, hey, I like that. And that's all. I, I like it, but I don't need it. I like it, but I don't want it. I can just leave yeah. it beautiful as it is. What's that thing about um, picking a flower and killing it or destroying it? You know, you don't have to pick the flower. Uh-huh. That's exactly right. That just because we love a flower doesn't mean that we got to pick it because if we pick it, we'll kill it. Better just to enjoy it without taking it with us. If you see the Buddha, kill him. Sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Leaving it to things at the level of Vedana. This is what we would mean wisdom at the point of contact so that we can control our feelings. We can manage them, that they don't have to ignorantly or as we're saying delusionally go from I like it into I want it. I've got to have it. The warning that I got to have it, that's delusional. Wakey, wakey, <laughs> wake <laughs> up, recognize that that's delusion. And it also leads to uh, grief. It leads to suffering. It leads to the woeful states. And I'm okay without it. I'm okay without it. I'll be all right. I like it, but I don't want it. That's the way to handle that. This actually comes from Bhikkhu Buddhadasa himself. But there's other places that, in fact, one of the famous stories is um, from Achan Cha and Achan Samedo. I think Marcus has been waiting for me to tell this story. <laughs> and that is with Achan Cha and uh, uh, Samedo, uh, Bhikkhu Samedo. He wasn't Achan yet. This was back in the 70s. This is an old story. And they had gone to a Katen ceremony. Now, Katen ceremony, uh, without going into too much, this is the robe offering ceremony, but this is also when the Thai girls get all dolled up once a year, the big, big one, 
this is it in Buddhism, almost like Christmas at at church or what maybe Easter at church. So this is the Katen. And uh, Achan uh, Cha must have seen Achan Sumedho doing what he was doing with his eyes. And so he walks over to uh, Achan Sumedho and, and uh, nudged him and says, well, what do you think? And Achan Sumedho, quick, he comes up with, I like it, but I don't want it. I like it, but I don't want it. Okay, remember that. That's a really excellent way of uh, training yourself out of Upadama is to give yourself credit for the fact that you do like it. That's that's natural. It's in our genes. Attraction to the opposite sex, attraction to Lamborghinis, attraction to the things that we find delight in is natural. Allow yourself that joy. You do have a joy in your life, but you do not have to become a prisoner to that which you find joy in. That's when your will is no longer free, is when you want something you don't have. There's a Zen practitioner on YouTube, um, Travel Bomb. He's combining... Uh, how do you call this, like uh, everything involving men and women with uh, Zen. <laughs> I mean, it's basically, it's basically a way to Buddha, uh, 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 Buddha nice people who are searching for a woman, uh, finding out that they don't need women. Mm -hmm. And then they can just go along whatever they want to do in their life. It, she, yeah, he's, it's really he's... nice to like women. You just don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I like them a lot. I got a house full of them. I think I'm one guy and six females. And three of them are dogs. Dogs, yeah, still, right. still females. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, I love I like them. I love them a lot, but I don't need them. I'm okay. That's why we cling so much to it, right? Because mm -hmm. we think we we need we need desperately to be happy. That that is the clinging. That's what the word means. Upadana means to cling to it, to grasp, to hold it, and upad and tanha. Actually, the word tanha means thirst. I'm thirsty. Existential. Mm -hmm. I feel this and it's it's just in my guts. I need it so desperately. I need it so bad, right. Yeah. I, could just, I could just see Putin lusting over <laughs> Just gotta have it. It's <laughs> amazing. Instead of just liking the Crimea, he's got to have it, got to own it. And look how much trouble we can cause ourselves and other people by trying to get something that we can't have. Waking up to the experience of seeing those things is so weird. It's so weird. I mean, I walked by a motorcycle uh, uh, yesterday, I think, and it was like something just... There was this automatic process and I was watching it and I thought, I was never interested in motorcycles. What are you doing? 
Yeah, you can appreciate it now and just like it for what it is without wanting that motorcycle or any oh, motorcycle I, at all. I, I can just... something. Sorry, apologies, Denver. Uh, this just came from a, a very early UK Sanga call, I think, where we were talking about um, somebody was talking about uh, adverts on trains. And they were intentionally <laughs> avoiding looking at the adverts with the nice artwork on it because they didn't want to be tricked into buying it or going along with it. And I think your response was, "Why don't you just enjoy the nice artwork? But, uh, but you don't want, you don't have to buy it, or you don't have to want to buy it." <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, sorry for interrupting you. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to like stuff. It's okay to use your eyes to be to take that sensory input in and enjoy being alive and enjoy those crotches. You just don't want any of them. <laughs> Would you say that the process of letting go, like exerting the will or allowing your mind to let go of attachment, would that be a process that is ineffable or would you be able to explain it? I wouldn't call it a process. I would call it a do it right now kind of thing. Remember to do it right now. And then when you need to do it next time, remember to do it then too. It's not a process of growing up or getting older or getting better at it. It's it's a point of, can you remember to do that right now? And this is building up. This is this is building up and building up and building up till the point you're able to just, it just happens. Ah, well, the what's building up is the remembering so that you remember more often. That's what's building up is sati, wakey, wakey, recognize, oh, I'm clinging again. There I go. And I don't need to do that. I'm good enough without her. And all the consequences. I I don't need that car. It's a beautiful car, but I don't need it. And we start dealing with our clinging that way. So whatever you're clinging to, wake up to that moment that you're clinging to it and say, hey, I don't need that right now. And drop that clinging right now and get the benefit of being free from it right now. It's not a process. It's a doing it right now. (laughs) Easy enough. If you can remember not a hard process but that's the skill is to wake up see that stuff recognize that it's not wholesome that i'm wanting something that i don't have and i'm making myself unhappy because of that and i'm good enough without it probably better off without it So this this actually is quite good. I've enjoyed this this conversation about free will. This is you know is it, because we're taking it and putting it completely into a Buddhist context, where in fact it was originally a Christian argument that has to do with with a god or something. In fact, if you think of it that way, then this god is actually all of the ignorance, all of the stupidity, all of the um, um delusions that we have as ha- as habit patterns and that's the god and the free will is the wisdom to look at what we're doing <laughs> so that you can be free from all that stuff that you wanted 
And there's your free will. Ta-da. <laughs> Amen. Thank you so much, Damarato. I think you uh, more than adequately answered my question. <laughs> for sure. Excellent. Well, guys, let's go ahead and finish now, unless somebody else has got another question or whatever. Uh, I wanted to ask you <clears throat> if I'm pursuing coming into a what? Uh, going to a what? Being part of a what? What? Uh -huh. Yeah. Then uh, is it possible what? if I have questions to this to call you someday, sometime? And yes, how would let's that do that. Okay. And, right. We need another one of those kind of talks. There is an old call that has the word ZM for Zoom mm -hmm. as the first two letters of that, and it's an old video that's on YouTube. Nanrin Robert? With Robert, right. Yeah, as you told me last time, uh, presenting yourself to Asians. Mm -hmm. I already... Uh, downloaded it didn't look at it by it's uh, but it's on my on my to-do list um i meant like if i have immediate immediate things coming up uh yeah for how the would particulars, yeah go ahead and call me give me a call how would that work well you you're on skype now so you just okay. go to damarato and call Okay, okay. If I come through, I come through, and so on and so on. Right, don't call me on this uh, UK channel because nobody answers this. But you can call me on, Dama, on Damarato. Happy Skyper? Yeah, Damarato yeah. Happy Skyper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can take the P out. Just a happy Skyper. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I really like this guy. I breathe it all the time. Can't get enough of that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> That's a kingdom right there. Right. Yeah, so give me a call and we'll talk about uh, where you are and how to find the what and we'll look it up and, and see. It's it's on your it's on the, the page you uh, you recommended. It's Amitayus. Uh, in, in Dresden, in Germany, Amitayus Monastery. I'm not really familiar with what's going on in Germany. I haven't been there to those watch, but I'm sure that the Germans know how to do it right. It's run by Vietnamese, so no problem. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Have yeah, you I, uh, I, I ever been to the Midwest? Mid Midwest? You mean like Oklahoma? Uh, more like Ohio, uh, West Virginia, west of that, in that little area near the Great I Lakes. Have, I have been in all of those states, yes. Okay, I was looking, I actually live in southwestern Ohio, so I was uh -huh. looking for resources on Watts near there to give them a visit or something like that. Yes, um, that would be a good thing. You, you actually, um, 
in in Thailand, if you go to Google Earth, you could find all the watch that uh, the um, Google has a, a lot of that information. So you can actually either Google it by the name uh, by saying um, Thai Watt and then the city that you're in, or you can go to Google Earth and start scanning around looking for them that way. And on the Open Sangha Foundation, Foundation right, there is this, this uh, you recommended it. I don't know if I... Oh yes, on on the on the uh, OpenSanghaFoundation.org or .com, there is a site that has every Buddhist that uh, organization that Google knows about, and you could go hone in on your location to find out where all the Buddhist temples are. That's pretty amazing. I type in a Thai Wat, and the first thing that pops up is a Thai restaurant. <laughs> well, call them. They'll know where the Taiwan is. Like how I put it in the chat there, it might come up with a few if there's any arounds because most Thai temples start with Wat Pra. Oh, it just took me all the way back to Thailand. Oh, okay. I guess not. Yeah, there the is name of the city that you're in in your Google search. Right. <clears throat> okay, guys, well, let's uh, uh, do some more of this at, at another time. Let's go ahead and finish now. I really do appreciate you guys coming on. This has been a really great talk. Thanks. Thank you. So thank you again, Damarado. So yeah, thanks, everybody. It's been a very nice talk. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.